Welcome to the 143rd edition of the Goonie Podcast. This is your host, Kevin Witcher, once again stepping in for Mr. Mark Ollington, who this month uses the excuse that he has a work meeting in America. I hope his missus isn't listening to this, as even I am starting to question his reasons for absence. <laughs> we are recording on the Monday evening after the 1-1 North London Derby game, at the beginning of the final international break this season. Arsenal return to action with a visit to West Brom at the weekend after next. Uh, so now for the panel introductions, and some of our guests are hungrier than others, going by their food and drink requests. Firstly, a regular who rarely fails to order more food than anyone else. <laughs> this evening he has gone for spicy Szechuan duck, egg fried rice and sweet and sour chicken balls. At least he is cheap on the drinks front, requesting merely a bottle of sparkling water. <laughs> it's a warm welcome to Mr David Udo. Evening all. Uh, next up he has competition for the biggest eater this evening, and this man has a frame that evidently requires some serious refuelling. Tonight he is on crispy shredded beef with chilli sauce, egg fried rice and sweet and sour king prawn balls. We had to knock him back on the pancake rolls, <laughs> as the budget will only stretch so far. <laughs> He's drinking Peroni Lager this evening and has been doing interviews with players past and present as well as journalists for the Gooner and doubtless we'll get on to his new book about Arsenal's 1994 Cup Winners Cup Triumph later. But it's great to say hello once again to Mr Leif Youssef. Hi Kevin. And finally, last but not least, weighing in with a far more reasonable order of chicken in satay <laughs> sauce and egg fried rice, drinking Asahi beer... He's a regular contributor to the Guna and also uh, contributes an occasional blog on our website. Additionally, a prolific tweeter. He is based in Leeds, but always informs us when he is in London in the hope that he can get his voice on this podcast. Well, tonight his visit coincides with a recording date, so it's a pleasure to say good evening to Mr. Simon Rhodes. Good evening. Right, gentlemen. Um, sensible place to start would be... Yesterday's match against Spurs. Uh, I'll start with you, Simon. What did you make of it? Uh, I didn't make much of the first half, not from our perspective anyway. Um, Spurs played well, to give them credit. It was their first team. Uh, it wasn't our first team with all our injuries. And first half was pretty putrid stuff, unfortunately for us. And really, Spurs had a great chance to wrap the goals up. Um, you could tell once Kane went through, he was going to score. Could I just stop you at one point? It wasn't Arsenal's first team. Which players would not have started in a, in a first-choice eleven if everyone was fit? Well, I guess, I guess that probably depends on the people who have come in and taken certain players' places. Debussy a while back might have been a first-choice, but obviously better in uh, plays these days. But you'd think Walcott would have played. I'd say Chamberlain may have played. I can't agree with that. The Ox is the first choice. Well, he, he was at least playing in, in, in recent times. Mm. Um, 
But certainly, even if those players you started may or may not have started anyway, through having had so many people injured, it's pretty much the same players who play in most games at the moment. And I think that became evident in how tired the players looked, how difficult they seemed to find it to get back into the game. Thankfully, Spurs wasted a lot of chances. There were some very good saves by Czech as well, but you kind of felt it was a bit like a boxing match that was waiting for a knockout blow, and they didn't throw it. So thankfully, in the end, I always felt the second half would come a lot more into it, attacking down the North Bank. And thankfully, we got a goal out of it. And really, although they seem to be happy with 1-1 at Spurs, I don't know why, because they, sh- they should have won. And in the end, we were grateful for the point. When you say they were happy with 1-1, do you mean the team or the supporters? I think all of them. I mean, the, their players went to their supporters and the manager seemed to be getting applauded and applauding the Spurs fans back. I just think, really, if they, they're a team that thinks they can win the league, then they should be aiming higher than what they got, mm. um, which, to me, shows the reality of, of re- really where they're at. Do you think, Leith, that uh, on the evidence of yesterday... Uh, we should start to think Spurs might actually overtake Arsenal in the league one of these days? I don't know about that, Kevin. Arsenal Wenger always says, you know, every year before we play them, people ask him, is, it, is, you know, is there a shift in, in, in the power in North London? And uh, no, no. They, they pressed really well. They were really well organised. They denied a space and time. You know, they, they, they worked really well. Two banks of, you know, sort of, I know they played 4 3 2 one, uh, four, two, three, one even. They were, they were, they were organised, but that's all you can say. And everyone talks, all Spurs fans talk about is, oh, you know, we, we, we're so creative. We've got the legacy, we've got the history. We've always been an attacking team. When have they been an attacking team over the last twenty-five years? Really? Every year they're like, oh, this is our year. We're going to overtake Arsenal. No, no. Someone tweeted me the other day and said, um, you know, I was talking about the sort of the the, the, the day we won the league in, uh, or yeah, the second time we won the league in White Lane, I should say. And they asked me if I was there, and I was there. And um, I've been home and away for Arsenal Spurs games over the last 35 years. And yesterday was just one of those games you just go, right, we didn't lose, let's move on. We had eight, ten players injured, let's move on. Spurs can say whatever they want, end of the day, they will not finish above us this season. David, um, I'm not sure if you're aware of the lineup Spurs put out on Thursday evening. Mm. But I think, I think there were eight players Correct. that started yesterday. And Arsenal using, using fatigue as a reason for a below-par performance. Mm. Do you buy that? No, not at all. I mean, you look at um, us. We had our game last weekend, a very comfortable 3-0 win away at Swansea. Uh, then we had four days off until Wednesday when, uh, let's face it, we were running at half pace uh, watching a Bayern Munich training session. Mm-hmm. And then we get three and a half days off before the Tottenham game. Spurs play on Monday nights at home to Aston Villa. Mm-hmm. Then they have to travel to Anderlecht on Thursday. No, they were at home. Oh, sorry, 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 excuse me, sorry, playing in a UEFA Cup game on the Thursday at home to Anderlecht and then playing us on the Sunday, short time between games. They covered more ground at a quicker pace than us. We were the home team. Yeah, we can plead being knackered or whatever, but ultimately we've got 10, play, 10 first team squad members uh, being treated for injuries at the moment. When are they going to be back? How long's your favourite piece of string? Could be two of them back after the international break, who only knows? Um, it's... We can't use that as an excuse at all. There are, there are faults with, with our training. Um, what, sorry, change the subject slightly. Shad for Scythe, what exactly does he get? Uh, sorry, give us for his £1.2 million salary. The, the, the way that he claps <laughs> his hand on those little cones <laughs> on the touchline just before we kick off. I mean, oh dear God, that's worth the money. But ultimately, we can't blame fatigue. It's our own fault. We need to take a long, hard look at our players and how they keep fit. OK, let me put it to you a different way. 
If um, Harry Kane had his shooting boots on, do you think Spurs can actually be leading the Premier League table? Oh, dearie me. <laughs> they've, lost, they've lost one game. They have lost one game, but they're, they're not a creative side. Harry Kane, he's a one-trick pony. He's, he's, if you look at OK, people can say, yeah, I'm saying from Arsenal's point of view, and I am, obviously, but I'm also saying from journalist's point of view, he's not got top pace. He's not particularly good in the air. His first touch isn't that great, and his one trick is to shoot early. If you put a man on him straight off, closes down the space, where's his goals coming from? He's, he's been found out second season syndrome. He, he could score ten goals, and they still wouldn't finish top four. Well, with last night being a repeat of the, uh, the Monaco home game last season, when, um, to paraphrase David, uh, David Brent from The Office, you could have put Olivier Giroud in a bucket of spits all night. He'd come up sucking his own thumb. Um, he, he wouldn't have scored all night. Whereas Kane, his first real genuine chance, great finish against the Premier League's best goalkeeper, I thought. Mm-hmm. He sent it the wrong way. He did open his body up well. He mm. did well. It was non real. Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to say that. I really didn't want to say that. But it, I, what I liked about that, that finish, to be fair, was the fact he didn't actually touch the ball. Mm. He let the ball do the work and then opened his body up. And did, he, it was a good finish. If I could do a swap deal with Giroud, as much as I, <laughs> as much as I don't want to admit it, I, I'd do it in a fucking heart <laughs> With all due respect to the ridiculously beautiful Ali. I think also the thing is, Spurs always took a, talk a good season early in the campaign. Uh, this mm. is, as I always say, it's a 38 game season. They, I, I'm not unhappy that a power shift is being talked about because the earlier the better as far as I'm concerned it outs them very very quickly uh, they can't they always buy the hype spurs they can never handle the pressure let's see your hands the 38 game season there was that season 2005-2006 they handled the 37 game season they didn't handle the last game in the end points are what matter during the course of the campaign by the end of the campaign that's when the league table matters after all the games have been played and yes I'm delighted we didn't lose but as Leith says, it's, it's one thirty-eighth of, of a season. And for Spurs, although you could argue that our players shouldn't be as fatigued as they are physically, although they're playing a lot of games with people being out, I think our players seem to get fatigued mentally by, by the weight of what they have to go through. And for Spurs, as we know, playing Arsenal twice a season is, is like going to Hollywood. It's one of the biggest things going for them. So they will put everything they've got into it. And the fact that even you know, now a power shift's being talked about is because people on some ridiculous... Tottenham-esque high they, they, they won't last because they don't last okay. I think more credit to us uh, from last night I mean for me uh, um, when we won the down at half time I thought it was going to be a repeat of the West Ham game in the sense that they weren't necessarily a brilliant team but their manager just knew how to play us how to suck us up even though it was a 4-2-3-1 it was essentially a 4-3-2-1 and for me Dembele, Dyer, and, uh, and Ali that they were superb they were absolutely brilliant and it was a thou shall not pass effort and um, it was a, an absolutely wonderful ball from the best creator in the Premier League that um, gave our reserve left back attacking <laughs> um, but no, I, you know, uh, Spurs just you know, knew how to play us so I think for us to scrape back from 1-0 to 1-0 credit where it's due an improvement for the West Ham game. I think it's a very interesting point as well though that other teams have done that now they've seen what West Ham have done West Ham have done that and they've gone away to Liverpool and Man City as well there's a, there's, a, there's a pattern out there. If you're clever enough as a manager and a tactician, there's a pattern you can try and recreate against Arsenal that mostly is going to work. And it's almost, it's almost interesting that it didn't actually work in the end to beat us. Maybe we learnt something out of it last night of quite how to counteract that. As we know, Wenger doesn't always appear to do much different tactically, but maybe we've found a, a part of a key at least there to, to avoid others 
doing to us what West Ham have done. Am I correct in saying the one time we did play completely differently, completely differently this year was away to Man City towards the start of the year? And I understand being that essentially was a player's revolt. Led by Mertesacker saying we've just got to sit behind this, yeah. let them come at us and nick a couple of goals, and lo and behold, we nicked a couple of goals and won 2 0. Yeah, that was Cockerland's blossoming, wasn't he? That was so well, yeah, Did, we, did we not have an element of that in the home game against Bayern? Yeah, I, I, it's exactly what I was saying to my father after the game yesterday. Um, you know, it was um, the Man City and uh, Bayern Munich games, but uh, in reverse, the opposition knowing how to play us, and we knew how to play the opposition. I think you're absolutely right with Simon, what you say about you know, teams sort of learning to play us. What I would say is the fact that there is we are missing a lot of pace. So you, you're right in terms of the fact that you know, West Ham and, and Spurs previously they did try and close us down. They, they were very well organised. But if we had pace to get behind their, their their back line, that would have made a difference. And as Kevin touched on, we did have eight to ten injuries, and that does make a difference. Obviously, Bellerin out. You know, he, he's been brilliant this season. He's been brilliant for the last twelve months, really. And Theo as well. You know, a bit of pace might have made a difference. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I always say I want. Early crosses, early shots, early passes. Don't be scared to shoot. Pace is such a massive weapon. Um, it's incredible how well Bellerin's done. Yeah. It, I always feel a bit gutted for Debushi in that, okay, he's missed matches and obviously he's missed time. He's like a pale shadow of a footballer. He looks like he doesn't know where to put himself at yeah. the moment. But pace is such a great thing. And that's why I was so buoyed once um, we had a game. Was it against Norwich where Ozil played the ball quickly through and Theo scored? And we had quite a decent run of getting the ball quickly to Theo, who was scoring in most games. And that was becoming a fantastic blueprint. Now, when you think that opposition we play against lose one player for a game, like, say, Man City don't have company, and they're excused at yeah, letting a goal in. Yeah, don't have Aguero, they're excused not scoring. Yeah. The amount of players we do miss, whether we should have better injury records and so on, we are quite amazing for being able to largely keep a decent run going. And I think a lot of the opposition teams struggle with just one or two injuries. That's what buoys me in terms of a potential title race and that I'm not convinced anybody other than Man City is definitely better than us. Do you think, though, that um, in the past there's been a perception that when Arsenal have suffered a real knockback, they've taken a few games to actually get going again, which is a requirement, obviously, if, if you're going to win the title, you've got to bounce back quite quickly. Do you think there's anything in the modern, the, the, the season's team, that indicates that they've improved on that front? I think that despite the fact the team at Sheffield Wednesday was obviously a, a, a reduced sort of Arsenal team, I was buoyed by the fact that at least we went to Swansea and did win, because it would have been quite Arsenal of us to have gone there and just got done 1-0. Because I do think there's a certain mental fragility. I don't think it's actually necessarily so much a physical fatigue. I think it's almost a mental fatigue of getting that style of football back into shape on the pitch and making it successful. Um, so I think the fact that we did bounce back, albeit with better players at, you know, at Swansea, I think that was so important for us because I think our, our bad results often cause further bad results before the good ones come. To get back winning again very fast is massively important if you genuinely want to win the league because if you do, you've got to aim to win every single game. Now, of course, we did have a, an unbeaten season, but I'm not sure if many teams have ever got a whole season win, winning every single game. But you have to aim for that. So there's no time to kind of get by in a couple of games and vaguely get yourself back into the right frame of mind. You've got to hit it straight away, and thankfully we did at Swansea. Yeah, I think mean, that was a good question, Kevin, and I agree with what you say, Simon, as well. But, yeah, you look at, look at Olympiacos losing 3-2 at home and then 
beating Man United three 0 on a Sunday, like you say, Sheffield Wednesday and winning at Swansea. Munich five one. That was that was a beating. That was a that was a proper beating. I was there. I, I can't remember too much about it after an afternoon in the off ray house, but um, <laughs> probably was, just as well. Yeah, exactly. Just as well. Yeah, anaesthetic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but um, you know, and then obviously you know not losing the Spurs on Sunday. I think we, we're showing a bit more mental toughness, which is which yeah. is very encouraging to see. And do you think that's coming from a change in personnel? I mean, why do you think it's changed? Where do you start? I, I think a lot of the players have been there for a few years now. I mean, they're just fed up with getting stick from, from losing. I remember um, Sanya, Bakri Sanya, every time he lost a game, he'd always be on the Arsenal website on the Monday or in the programme next time. They'd say, oh, yeah, we need to learn from our mistakes, we need to improve on our defensive. But it was like, well, you at some point, a good game. <laughs> yeah, at some point, do it, exactly. And for some reason, I think they just, they, they've had enough and they've gone, well, let, let's show a bit more. Mental toughness, a bit more resolution, a bit more solidity, I think, but hmm. obviously it's still only November. You know, but hmm. David, do you think there are more characters in the team in terms of having a pair, for one of a better phrase? No. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you can tell that. I mean, if we win a big game, I mean, I, I sit um, uh, above the, the proper the proper fan section within the ground. So uh, upper northeast uh, is where I'm right in the corner. And um, after a big game, or even after a big loss, um, I think the real character is the one who comes over to us. Um, yeah. And they either clap us or they essentially apologise yeah. by clapping. And the very few players you see do that are the BFG, uh, Oxlade Chamberlain does it. I mean, Sanchez is gone before the whistle's gone, uh, to be frank, and, and uh, Urzel and players like that. Um, also, you can tell when they get off the, the team bus, you see that on Sky Sports. They're the biggest headphones you can imagine, not talking to each other, each other let alone anyone else. So I think we've got Mertesacker, who has brought back the marching to the halfway line and clapping all four, all four corners of the ground, which Oxlade Chamberlain doesn't join in because he's too busy getting a bottle of water, even though he knows he needs to be on the halfway line. I don't think there's much in the, the nature of character in our team. I mean, you, you see that, uh, that video before the game kicks off, and it shows you our um, Arsenal skippers doing a, doing a proper fucking come on. And you only see Rocky, you only see Tony Adams, you only see Sol Campbell, occasionally Thomas from Ireland. Anyone in this current team, please? No yeah. So you don't think someone like Alexis is a street fighter who, you know, has something about him which is going to pull you through when times get tough? Um, yeah, when he's not knackered. Oh, that, that type of character. Um... I'm talking about the shift in the idea of the team as being weak. You know, I'm, I'm really trying to find out if there is a change in mm. the makeup, the mental makeup, as we've discussed, of the side, yeah. whether or not that's down to a change in personnel in terms of the likes of Coquelin, yeah. you know, uh, Sanchez. Um, I mean, Theo's a nice boy. You know, he's not an example of what I would call a character. Yeah. Um, but I'm just wondering if I mean Gabrielle is another example yeah. um, if we've got you know by chance perhaps I don't know if it's deliberate or not but if I mean Coquelin's obviously chance in that respect if we've, we've stumbled across the blend required to actually dig out some of these results which we have not been able to do in past seasons where we've, we've shown a bit of promise essentially have we got a Tuesday night away at Stoke team if you like think. if you like no not really I mean yeah Sanchez yeah Coquelin yeah but Giroud oh god no no bless him no absolutely not um, Coquelin he'll well, give it a good go but I mean as we saw in, in the Chelsea games last year before it went cuckoo over there uh, I mean him up against Matic it was man against boy um 
uh, Ozil, you boot him up in the air in the first five minutes, and he'll be hanging out on the uh, on the, the touchline with uh, with the substitutes. I would have thought. I don't think we're strong enough. Nowhere near strong enough compared to Manchester City. I mean, if it's pissing down with rain on a Tuesday night there, and they've got Fernando, Fernandinho, and Yaya Toure against our midgets, no chance. Can I just say, I mean, Simon wrote a brilliant article in, in this issue with the Guna about Gabriel, and it talks about the Everton game, and that was a real back to the wall performance. We, we, you know, hammering it down with rain, Everton as solid as they always are, we got the win. But you, you made a really good point about the fact he was punching the air when he did that last yeah. thing. Yeah. And when's the last time you've seen that? I, I think it is slightly a change of personnel in terms of you've got people like Gabriel who you, you likened them to Martin Keogh, and I thought that was brilliant. I, I loved Martin Keogh, we all did. And yeah. You know, for, to see a defender do that, see a centre half do that, to punch the air with a tackle, that, that meant a lot. I think, also, I think Keona's likened Gabriel to him, which is a, yeah. a strong thing to do. He is ugly. He's <laughs> <laughs> not, yeah. not quite as aesthetically pleasing as the others. But I think the thing is, it's been said about Arsenal for so long, yeah, we're weak, you know, we're just kind of artists, we're not kind of the hearts of the players that United, you know, sort of had. But I think they've become harder in that you've got players there who've recently won the World Cup so that's a big achievement for them they will feel big and strong and they'll know like in World Cups it's not about how you start it's about how you end in fact don't show your great hand early on in the World Cup and beat someone 5-0 because you'll be outed for it and get knocked out in some dour penalty shootout they know that you might not be great at the start of the season but it's important how you build during the course of the campaign now we've won two FA Cups in a row lots of people were adamant we'd never win another thing under Wenger now, some of those people are saying, OK, we'll never win the league under Wenger. But the truth is, I think that Wenger really wants to win the league now. I mean, it's not so much of us in the sense that he hadn't wanted to win it for a few years, but I think he believes we could do it, and I think he really wants to do it. I think maybe that explains some of the Champions League lineups in the first few games, which, let's face it, have at least somewhat thrown our chance to, to continue in it. I think he really believes we can do it, and I think the players believe it enough that they'll make sure they draw a game against Spurs they're otherwise going to lose and they won't just insipidly think oh yeah it's a bad game we'll try hard next time I think the, the players they're not going to become sudden hard men but they're people there with a hard attitude like Coquelin who wants to get that tackle and get that ball no no let's go and let's get the ball let's go and make an attack from which we might suddenly score whereas previously you know it would have gone to nothing you've got players who prepare to throw themselves into the line of fire like Gabriel um, Mertesacker, I'm a bit concerned about him, to be honest, but um, he does have a wonderful attitude, as, as David said. He's always the one who is ad- Adams-esque in his manner, in his physique, and sometimes his slight bumbleness, if you like. But ultimately, I think there is a strength there, even within the artistic nature of the team, that actually is meaningful this season. Right, well, I'm going to just interject here, because I've got to get through some of the issues and uh, topics that have been sent in by uh, listeners and this one's relevant because um, on Twitter it's my Arsenal opinion who I think you actually do tweet uh, with on occasion Simon he says does the panel think it's time for the BFG to be replaced by Gabriel Um, I mean who is your first choice back to let me just put it to you like that David? Oh, crikey. Um, Mertesacker is my favourite player, to be honest. Like I say, he's the only remotely Adams-esque um, player in our squad. But um, same as Manchester United have to do with Van Hal. Sit down next to him, put your arm around him and say, you've got a brilliant career. You've been absolutely wonderful um, at everything you do. I mean, can't thank you enough. 
but you've reached your age, son. It's time to sit down. Um, I love him to pieces, Murtasaka. And if he's our first choice reserve, as we had, or second choice reserve, as we had with Martin Keown in his last couple of years, that'd be great. But I mean, I don't think Gabriel. Gabriel's made the odd mistake here or there, and bearing in mind he's a South American centre half who did relatively well for a mid-table Spanish team. He's got a lot to learn, but generally I've been really happy with him. I'm not too excited about the fact that your centre half celebrates making a tackle, um, <laughs> you know. But, um, but no, I, 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 I think we have to persevere with Koscielny and uh, and Gabriel. Although personally, I'm still not convinced by Koscielny. Um, if he was that good, then I'm sure we would have had a lot of, a lot of money offered to us by Bayern München by now. But um, uh, I think out of the three that we've got, uh, I think it's uh, it's Gabriel and Koscielny. Nice. Yeah, I'd have to agree with with. Okay. Yeah. Simon. Simon, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think the thing for me, I, I know a lot of people really like Mertesacker, and I think at the start of the season I said something along the lines of on Twitter that I'm not comfortable about his use of possession at times. I think he kind of hoofs the ball forward. Now, some people just thought that wasn't the case at all, but I don't know if the chaps see, I went to Burnley last season, and although, okay, it was a game we got through and we won, I was watching the way we were using the ball around the pitch, that our, our famed way of passing the ball incessantly around the whole team, even in circumstances where we could have done something a bit more ambitious. And then a few times it came to Mertesacker, and when people were closing him down, he basically launched it forward. And I thought, well, if we're keeping possession, even in circumstances where it could be a little bit more forward-thinking, that's at 100% possession. Even, each, each of those passes, we're not going to lose the ball. As soon as you hit it four or 50 yards, that's 50-50. It's ours or theirs. Now, if you, if you know you can finish third or fourth, and you know you can win the FA Cup, and we've, we've made that clear the last couple of seasons, then you've got to think, what, what can you do to go higher than that? And to me, you look at your rivals and you think, would any of them keep a player like that? I just don't think so. Now, no, to, to my mind, I think Gabriel and Koscielny are very similar. I don't know how good they'd be together if they were the first choice. I think they kind of get in their way a bit. But there's got to be someone out there who's tall and strong, a bit Mertesacker-esque, if you like, he could do the job. There's a guy who I think would be absolutely amazing, but we've kind of missed our time a bit on it, and that is Stones at Everton. We could, we could have done something about that a year ago, because it was obvious then he was a good player. But he's tall, he's got that desire to get to the ball in the same way I think Mertesacker does, but we've missed, missed the gun there a little bit. But he won't be the only one. As I often say, the world is full of footballers. There's got to be someone in a similar kind of mould to Mertesacker who might have a fantastic hunger desire like Gabriel does, um, let's face it, United pulled Vidic out from nowhere a few years back. Someone like that. I just think, as much as I like Mertesacker, it's not about whether I like him or not. Do we want to be, be better than fourth place in the FA Cup? If so, you've got to upgrade. Yeah, can I, I could just say, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying in terms of you know, Mertesacker as a leader and you know, he, he's got a lot of experience and he's, he's a proven winner in terms of the World Cup and things like that. But what Simon was saying earlier about the fact that you know, when you go to a game, and you, if you do get the 10 minutes early for a change, then you see the, you know, the jumbo triangle it's called these days, and they show Tony Adams fist pumping, and they show all those le legends, you know, back to Frank McClintock and even the 30s and things like that. You want something to do that. And I, I was up with Chef Wednesday, as you, know, as you were as well. Um, I covered the game for the, for the Islington Gazette, I did the match report, um, and I was really disappointed with Mertesacker's performance that day. There was a lot of youngsters there. Obviously, yeah, Chef Wednesday came at us, they, they, they're strong and sat inside, and as I said in my match report, they'd be worth 10 of anyone's money to maybe get promoted this season. But it seemed like he disappeared a little bit. And that's not conscious, because he, he talks a good game, and he, he's, he's a lovely, lovely man from what I've seen. Mark Ogden did a really good piece on him last season for the Telegraph, 
on the fact that he gets a tube to games. A bit like Podolski, he's, he's steeped in the Arsenal tradition, he knows about the history, he loves playing for Arsenal. You can see he loves playing for him, but I think he went missing a little bit. And it was no, really this when he got to play see. for us forever more, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think it was first to reserve. I mean, yeah. long, long term, uh, bearing in mind he's still very, very young, I think a 25-year-old Callum Chambers is going to be the England centre-half as well as the Arsenal centre-half, I think. He's still learning. Still very, very young. Who's, who's educating him? <laughs> <laughs> His eyes match the day in Sky Sports Live. No, um, and I think he's going to be playing in, uh, in, in relative nothing games, I suppose, and just being uh, having it bullied into him. It's one thing on our training ground doing our 86-minute sessions in virtual silence, uh, but it's going to have to be in the games uh, next to someone like Murta Sakharin. You know, when it gets to games like Bournemouth at home on the 28th of December, uh, when hopefully common sense will will prevail and, and Wenger, Wenger will rest one or two players. I mean, that kind of game, I'll be, if he started with, with Chambers at centre-half playing next to Murta Sakharin or Koscielny, I wouldn't hold it against him at all. I think you have to take advantage of it and uh, not be arrogant, but rely on your multi-million pound attacking players to get the four goals in the first 20 minutes. So I think he'll be playing in nothing games next to a very experienced colleague. I think it would also be very interesting if he went on loan somewhere, like you know the Jenkinson sort of way, mm. and played centre half for a team in the Premier League for a season. Then I think you see what it's got as a, as a sexual point. offender. I mean, let's face it, Jenko's going to come back next season. Debussy will go to wherever will give us two and a half million pound for him. You know, we change the third choice right back. So yeah, he could pay off like that. Yeah. Well, what's the score with Jenkinson anyway with the loan? I mean, Debussy's having a mare at the moment. He got he didn't typically play well in Munich. I think it is a season long agreement. And we couldn't so, pull him back. We couldn't have him back. Don't think so. Same as Gnabry. I mean, Benga's saying, oh, I could have. Uh, I don't want to bring Gnabry back. Yeah, we save money on his wages and he's contracted <laughs> there for a year in their youth team. It'd be fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now Jenkinson's out there for a year. Mm. I mean, I'll, I will mention this because it sort of ties in with this. Uh, John Porter um, emailed us. Um, and it's just two things I mean the second thing he says well I'll read it in full Martin Keown on match of the day two last night after the Spurs draw said Arsenal are relying too much on Petr Cech to keep us out of trouble at the back do you agree and if so does Arsene Wenger need to buy a new defender to sort out an indelible weakness in the back four in order to sustain our league title challenge so I think the consensus to that would be yes but do we think he's going to buy in January? It seems a bit unlikely, doesn't yeah. it? Um, I mean, do we? Do we? I mean, it's, we do. Look at the league table. Do we underestimate Arsenal's defence? Because I'm looking at the goals against Colin. There's one team that have conceded less goals than Arsenal. And that's Manchester United. They've conceded eight. Arsenal and Manchester City have conceded nine. And then after you got. After that, you've got Tottenham conceded to 10. Are we being too harsh, or is it Petr Cech bailing out a dodgy backline? I think teams concede more goals maybe these days, in that there's a lot of you know, fantastic attacking players in the Premier League. I think also, I don't, unless your keeper's making lots of saves in the game, and he did make quite a lot against Tottenham, really, you, every team has a goalkeeper to make saves. They're there to do that. You'd expect your keeper to, to make them. Um, I think it would be interesting when it comes to, to January. I'm, I'm sh- I always feel that Wenger knows what we need. He's not, the guy's not an idiot. He might be a bit too cautious, but he, he's not you know, unaware. But it's just that balance of the quality that Arsenal need and what is available. Now, I know people felt in the summer, it gets, kind of gets to the point where if we're not signing pe- people, then fans think, just sign someone, get, get a number in. But if Arsenal are of a certain level of quality 
then you, have to, you obviously have to get players of that same level, otherwise they would stick out for not being good enough to be in that team. That, we get that, those kind of comments now. There's plenty of Arsenal fans who don't rate Joel Campbell and think he shouldn't be anywhere near the team or the club. Well, if you can't get the kind of player you think you need, then is there any point in getting someone who isn't good enough? Be like anybody in any job. We all, we've all know we've carried colleagues at times. I just hope that Wenger is aware of what everyone else is aware of in, in terms of what we could do within the squad and he can identify people who are gettable because I really feel that only Man City are definitely better than us. I think that Chelsea are obviously in a right state. Liverpool aren't better than us. Man United aren't better than us. They're similar, not better. So in a way, we only have one team to get better than. And if after, on the 3rd of February, Aguero does his hamstring again and Kalpan is out for a few weeks, City are going to very quickly plateau. So if we've added well and kept our mental improvement, if you like, there's no doubt in my mind we can get above them. So that, that could mean the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it, it's not a vintage season. It's not a vintage league this year. It's, we're all, all absolutely revelling in the fact Chelsea are imploding, and it is so joyous. We all know Chelsea fans. We've had sticks since, you know, the, the, the quarter-final of the Champions League second leg when um, Bridge basically, you know, there was a power shift there in terms of Arsenal-Chelsea, and we've, we've never really had that back. And it's just joyous watching Mourinho struggle and Chelsea struggle and all the rest of it. So they're out of it. I mean, they'll be lucky if they finish top four if they, if they carry on the way they're doing. Then who have you got? You've got Man United. OK, they're, they're defensively really resolute, really organised. Van Hal seems to have a, a real sort of um, blind spot to, to, to attacking offensive players. He's got rid of half of them. You know, I don't know, you know he loves Rooney, but he's got no one else practically. So, you know, I wouldn't argue that they're particularly title challengers. And it says a lot for the league that they, they're actually, you know, in the top four or they're thereabouts. And then who have you got as well? Yeah, obviously Liverpool under Klopp, they're work in progress. You know, we, we saw yesterday when they lost to Palace. They're, they're not, you know, they're, they're not going to win the league this year, Liverpool, again. So who else is there? There's, there's City. And City aren't a particular... They're, they're great. They're a good side. They're not a great side. And they're there for the taking if we can somehow marshal... Marshall a squad that's going to be good enough to win the league, and I, this is our time. This is our year. If we can do it, I interviewed John Cross for for this, you know, for the, for, for this current Guna, and he was adamant we should have signed Schneiderlin in the summer. Mm. Bit of cover for Cockerland, you know, just just to strengthen the squad. You're right though; it, it goes back to sort of George Graham and prior, you know, managers prior to that, where you always get the, the, the you know the managers' program notes when they say, yeah, I'm not going to sign anyone unless it's going to improve the squad. And Wenger's obviously said that for years. George Graham used to say that. Wenger's going to say the same thing in January and he's going to say we're going to have 8 to 10 players coming back who are going to be like new signings and it's, we're not going to sign anyone and we had that in 2008 we could have kicked on and won the league if, if we'd have just bought a couple of players in that January and we, my fear is we're not going to do it and we're going to fall down again because it's there for the taking yeah. well I've got to ask an optimist this question because I don't want a David Udo answer <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm going to give it to Simon um, we've, got, we've got two emails on the subject uh, Nicky Price on Twitter and Robert Gregory on Twitter. Nikki asked, do you think we will buy in January and who would improve the team? Also, who will be available? Uh, not that I think you're party to that, but anyway. And Robert Gregory asked, will Wenger do what he didn't do in the summer and sign an outfield player, specifically one who, who will carry us to glory come May? I'll go and do the washing up. I'll be back in <laughs> uh, I, think, I, think, I think we know what David believes. Simon, I mean, you know, you said Wenger very keen on getting this title and he thinks he can do it do you think he will realise that perhaps for example Danny Welbeck is probably not going to play again this season 
might recognise that Theo Walcott is going to miss games. Yep. That is the type of player he is. Do you think he'll, say, he'll bite the bullet and say, yet let's buy a forward in January, for example? I think that will prove, what he does do will prove his determination for this season. I think one way of looking at this is very interesting would be, let's say Ferguson was still at United. You know what he'd try and do this January. If the guy's still scoring goals, United would try and sign Vardy. They wouldn't care less what he would do to Leicester City. Leicester aren't in Europe. Is the guy's not cup-tied. Um, he may or may not keep his run going, but I, I like him as a player. I have done for a while. I'm you know, pleased with the guy's doing well. United would try and sign him. So do we think we can win the league? Well, if so, don't be shy about it with clubs. I hate it when he said in the summer, Wenger, after we didn't, did or didn't attempt to sign Benzema and, and, and didn't get him, that... Oh, you know, certain players, they, they weren't up for sale. Like, why, why didn't we go for Marshall? I mean, we played Monaco last season. After that first game, I said, that Marshall, he's a great player. I hope we're watching him. Now, in the end, you know, United signed him. And Wenger said, well, he wasn't available for sale. I think, well, bid for the guy. Then your five is available for sale or not. I mean, they're, they're more involved in negotiations than I am. But I would, I would always think, have an amount you'd, you'd pay for someone, bid about, you know, I don't know, three quarters, two thirds of that, keep stepping it up when they say no to the point when they realise you really want the player, then you might have to pay a bit more or you might end up paying roughly what you, you, you thought you might have to at the beginning. So I don't want to hear in January or the beginning of February players weren't, up for, players weren't available for sale. You make them available for sale by bidding for them. So decide who you want. Don't look at who's available. Decide who you want and then make them available by bidding for them. That is what I hope for because this season is there for us. You know, we're, we're 12 games in, we're in a great position. As Arsenal fans, we're over-acutely aware of our foibles and we think, hmm, too many goals or didn't beat that team. Well, teams aren't going to win every single game. But generally, we're in a decent position. So let's take advantage of that. Simon, if I told you that I knew, and I do know for a fact, there is a six-foot-three-inch, well-built centre-forward, uh, two-footed, he scored goals in Premier League, goals in Serie A. Uh, well, um, very, very good at what he does. Uh, and he's out of contract at the moment, available on the free. He'd snatch him out of fucking heartbeat. He's available, ticks all the boxes. Emmanuel Adebayor <laughs> is on the market and available. No. And, well, well, would you rather have him or Charlie Austin? <laughs> Neither. <laughs> <laughs> They're the only two options I can see. I'll tell you something, that would be... Much as I don't, yeah, I don't want him to, us, us to get out of bail. I think it would actually be quite hilarious if we did. In whichever way Wenger painted it, and people are all against it. And then, you know, obviously exactly on the 70 minutes, on he comes. There'll be a, a ridiculous mixture of the groans and everything. A bit like um, when Paul Gascoigne played in Paul Merson's uh, testimonial went with an Arsenal uh, shirt. There'll be all these mixtures of groans and whatevers. But if he then actually, you know, tapped the ball at the back post... People wouldn't know quite what to do with themselves, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. there's other players in the world, I, I would say. <laughs> yeah, you're right. all it takes a few goals, but there are other players yeah. in the world, I'm not sure. Weren't there rumours that, um, that, that came out in the last six weeks or so that in the summer we did go after a Russian centre forward, but we wanted him on a year's loan with a view to a permanent transfer, but his club wanted the astronomical £12.5 million. Pounds. I mean, I, I don't, you'll find this hard to believe, I don't follow the Russian Premier League at all, but um, I, 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 have, I have looked at the guy, I can't remember his name, but he is six foot, he does appear to hold the ball up, he's the centre forward we need. Um, look, if he's available in that price, I mean, I think Wenger maybe would go for him. But having said that, um, in January 2000, well, 2003 or 2004, who saw him uh, buying an unknown Spanish winger called Reyes? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, he bought in January in 2006. He bought Theo, uh, DRV, and Adderall. Yeah. And Gabriel was a, yeah. I think, was a, a winter yeah. signing. He was indeed. So it does happen. Some results, I think, as well. <laughs> yeah, that's a different story. Is Kim Kalstrom still there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not convinced he exists. He broke his back, didn't he? He's like Kaiser Soze and Julian Charles. He's Yeah. That was the season we were actually in contention with the league, actually. Well, the Calstrom season. Yeah. I mean, January, we were right up there. I think we were probably the first. He made you save you the bill of May, though, didn't he? Well, he did. But the point being, we had this no, opportunity no. to strengthen from a position of strength and didn't take it. No. Um, but there we are. Legend has it we have more money now, so let's... Let, let's see some proof of that. Mm. Well, the centre forward went after on the 31st of January that season, but didn't want to leave his club and they didn't want to sell him, was Salomon Kalou. He'd gone to Lille. Mm. I mean, you turned down mid tape in France to come to England. That's not a good thing, <laughs> is um, I've got, um, uh, well, I'll do this one quickly. Joe Gagliardi on Twitter. What is the point of keeping Thomas Rosicki around if he's never available? Now, uh, John Cross actually had something to say about Rosicki. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think it's, it's, and it's the same with Arteta when I went down to Colney for, for the, on behalf of the Guna, and same with Arteta, he, he speaks really well. He's a real organiser, he's a real leader. He, he really, off the pitch, more than on the pitch, I should say, he, he sends the ethos of, of Arsene Wenger into the players, and I think Rosicki does that. I think he's, he's a Wenger man. Wenger would never have given a year's contract to, to, to various other players we could we could name that had suffered the injuries that Rizicki has suffered over the years. It's on the training pitch that Wenger sees Rizicki's future basically and he might even be a you know future future Arsenal coach, who knows? But that that's the reason as far as I can see. And having talked to a few journalists that they've sort of said the same thing. And obviously John Cross touched on that too, so I'm thinking yeah. with the amount of injuries we've got at the moment, he would have played the last three games. He <laughs> <laughs> could have done any worse really, for several Wednesday away. Well I mean uh, what what John said uh, was that basically Rizicki desperately wants to play football. Yeah, yeah. He, which he, is his attitude. He Good wanted attitude. a move. He, apparently there was a move in the offing to Villa yeah. last summer and uh, Wenger basically blocked it. Yeah, we exercised the clause, yeah. didn't we? Um, whereby if he, played more than, he made more than 15 appearances last year, we get, we've got the right to extend his contract yeah. for one year and we yeah. chose to do that. Yeah, but in a way, you know, I mean, he's injured, so, you know, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what can you say? Right, I'm, I'm going to do this one. I, I promised the person who emailed me we'd cover this, and I'm not really sure quite how, but I'm going to read out the email. It's from Joseph Millen. He says, I was at the Swansea match, and the pre-match atmosphere was great. It's fantastic that we almost have a full set of songs for our squad. Sadly, we still get the airing of effing Jew in some of the anti-Spurs songs, and this really needs to stop. I'm not even sure they are being anti-Semitic, just anti-Tottenham, albeit in an anti-Semitic way. I know all clubs have their idiot section, but this mindless racism needs to be addressed, and I was wondering if it was something you could mention in your magazine and blog podcast. I'm going to write to some of the other bloggers, ACLF, Askblog, Gunaholic, etc., to see if it could be mentioned as well. It really feels like the club is moving in a positive direction at the moment and an equal success would be for some of the fans to think before they chant and if these certain parts of the songs could be phased out, that would be a trophy in itself. I mean, there's two issues here. I mean, I'm assuming we all are on board with the fact that Mm -hmm. it's not desirable. Um, What can the club do about it? And do we think it will actually decline with the passing of time? 
I think it has declined somewhat. I don't think it's as prevalent as it used to be. Uh, when certain songs are sung, less people uh, add words at the end, shall we say. Um, there's always going to be idiots. There's always going to be people who, in the anonymity of the crowd, think what they say doesn't, doesn't matter. There was a guy today, um, a Chelsea fan, who's, who, who says something about Liverpool supporters on a, a fan TV broadcast who's been sacked from his job as a lawyer. There, 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 there are repercussions for what you do and say. I mean, just for example, I don't think I've ever sworn on Twitter. Now, some people do. That's people's choice. But to my mind, any, any tweet you, you send, you're broadcast into the world, and whatever you say uh, potentially has consequences. It should be exactly the same in terms of what you say in a crowd. Now, I know some people think, oh, you should be able to do and say what you like, you know, why should I get into, into problems? But if you, if you acted in the ways you do sometimes at football... Um, out on the street waiting for a bus in Tesco's, you wouldn't get away with it. So why would you uh, at a football ground? I also think it's, it's ridiculous if people think it's okay because Spurs fans, uh, in some sort of, sort of twisted, uh, wrongly sort of intended humour, think they can call themselves uh, the Y word, and that kind of makes it all right. There's something a bit weird, people who aren't, Jewish saying that kind of, if you like, of themselves. There's something, something weird in what's going on there with Spurs fans doing it about themselves. But you can't think that you're just mirroring that by saying it, because you aren't. Um, and ultimately, I think if you were acting in a violent way, you'd expect to get into trouble. Um, if you're acting in ways where there are laws against things, then you've got to expect you're going to get in, in, into trouble over it. I think what will partly help is self-policing, if you like, amongst fans, where, where people less and less do it, and if people have got the guts to say, don't say that, mate, or whatever, then it, it just it, it fades out. I remember once after um, a home game against Spurs about six, seven years ago, I was walking through Finsbury Park Station, and there were two um, Tottenham fans in their, their 50s walking one way, and this one little kid, only about 12, 13 years old, Arsenal kid with a scarf on, walking past two, two Tottenham fans and hisses at them makes that sound at them. But as soon as he does that, that five us turn around on that kid, all Arsenal guys, all wearing Arsenal shirts and scarves, turn around and give him, you know, we, we don't, for the avoidance of any doubt, we do not beat the child up by any stretch of imagination. Give him a proper, you know, turn around to the two Tottenham guys and say, really sorry about that, that's nice, we're not like that at all. Give, and the Tottenham fans said, no, don't worry, we're used to it. Um, so then just turned around to the kid and said, you're fucking sad, boy, and then walked away. We gave him telly, tell him off and the kid bricked himself and hopefully he's never done it again. But um, yeah. it's, it's completely nothing unacceptable. Yeah. And I personally think if in January we can buy um, uh, a gay Jewish black player, I would love that more than anything. <laughs> and I'd get him tattooed on my back. <laughs> yeah, I'm completely agreeing with everyone here. It's just unacceptable. No ifs or buts, it's unacceptable. And one of the things I'm most proud about being an Arsenal fan, most proud about the football club and 99% of our supporters is the fact that we've always been inclusive. You go back to the 70s with the Irish with you know, waves of different immigration, immigration coming into the country. We've always been there. We've always been a haven for people. We've always accepted people. So long as they're Arsenal fans, that's all that matters. And it needs to stop. End of story. It's unacceptable. And you, you made, both of you made a good point. It's, it's self-policing as well. Mm, if yeah. people say it and you, you turn around to some bloke and you say, no, you can't say things like that, mate. It's wrong on so many levels. Then hopefully people will get the message because, yeah, it's just 
run. And also, if you spent um, most of the 90s and noughties uh, singing um, anti-spur songs with uh, Semitic terms in it, did you ever look up to the boardroom and see David Dean yeah, sitting absolutely. next to Danny Fitzgerald? Yeah, I was going to make. Seriously, yeah. it makes Arsenal fans look like a bunch of Shalils. <laughs> <laughs> people think of Spurs as a Jewish club. They're no more Jewish than Arsenal. Yeah. There are more Good Jewish point, people yeah. in Islington than there are yeah, in They might have had yeah, David Pleat and Irving Scholar and Ronnie Rosenthal, you know, mm. David Dean, yeah. Fisman, you know, yeah. Berkovic uh, played for us. Berkovic, what am I talking about? Uh, Benayoun played for us. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's just it's just ridiculous. And I think also something that's very very amusing uh, within this is that if you ever have looked for uh, names to, to name children, and you, when you when you know your partner's pregnant, you look to see the origins of names. I wonder how many of these people are being anti-Semitic. Realise their names are probably have a Hebrew origin. Mm. Be worth them uh, worth them checking it out on themselves. Mm. Okay. Well, let's. Uh change tack and do a little bit of nostalgia and um, I'm going to give you a chance later to promote a uh, tome oh God. which you are behind now is it out yet? No, no it's, um, it's where do you start really it's um, emails have been going back and forth, discussions have been going back and forth the deadline was the end of May I made my deadline I'm, I love my publishers, they're brilliant we've had a lot of discussions about various things Obviously, I should say it's um, the book's called Miracle of Copenhagen, it's about Arsenal's Cup Winners Cup Run and Triumph that immortal season, 93-94, when we took on the best of Europe and beat them, basically, with, with a side that was quite limited, you could say, but it had the real Arsenal spirit all the way through it. And um, Yeah, we've been going back and forth, and there's been various issues and stuff, so cut a long story short, it's going to be out early in the year, party at Priory Corner, everyone's invited to come along, but um, yeah, yeah, it's, um, I interviewed a few people for the book as well. Alan Smith was an absolute legend. He, he, he gave up a lot of his time to myself and Dan McCarthy because we're working on another project as well. And, um, Alan, would you like to spend an hour talking about when you scored the winning goal? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, he's it it a, <laughs> a lovely bike. We've got so much time for him. We follow each other on Twitter, have a bit of a chat, and he's done a couple of pieces for me for the standard as well. But I did watch him on Fantasy Football and Sky the other day, and he gave him the same answer to everything that he was asked by yeah. Paul Mercer. But yeah, I mean, what else can you ask him about? He's, he's an absolute legend. That season was unbelievable. And, um, Hopefully I've tapped into it. I mean, Bruce Springsteen said, you know, you glorify the past if the future dries up. I wouldn't go that far in terms of what's going on at the moment because we have got a bit of a future, but I love a bit of nostalgia as well. And that, those sort of teams, 93, 94, was just... I was 21, 22. My first away game in Europe was Liège. How good can that be? You know, if, you, if you're 21 now, you go to Munich last week, you obviously love the Hofbra House, as, as I did and we all do when, when we go there. But, um, yeah, to win 7-0 in Liège... When there's all the other stuff, you've got the sort of residue of the sort of 80s and there's a bit of sort of stuff going on there, which I'm going to go into, but it's in the book. But, um, you know, to come out of there to win 7-0 and then to go to Torino, the first English team to, to play in Italy since Heisel, basically. You know, and we did, a, we did our country proud, we did our club proud, we did the sales proud, there was no trouble. There was, there was a I've, lot got of... it, I've got to just factually correct you there, you. <laughs> um, Aston Villa, 1990. Who did they play? They played Banneker Strava. Inter. Played into two legs, and they were. Uh, sorry, no, the first. I should have said first team in Turin. You're right. absolutely right. Okay. Yeah, sorry, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. first right. team in Turin. Okay. Yeah, and um, yeah, it was. It, yeah, we obviously got the draw out there, nil nil. One of the worst nil nils ever. But I interviewed Stuart Houston with the book, and he said it didn't matter. Well, it, well it, you say it was a worse nil nil. It does depend on your perspective. And as one who was actually there, yeah, I was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was um, there and I was sitting in the Italian section. Were you? I was. <laughs> How, uh, <laughs> well, because I could see what was happening when the coaches arrived 
And one of the first things was you would not really get a drink. Yeah. So fortunately, I was in cities. <laughs> I had a copy of La Gazetta, which oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> trying to pretend that, that you know every word of it. And I, I had Warren Swain with me, who won't mean anything to the people listening. But anyway, <laughs> me and Warren strolled out of the little area, managed to get out. We we all had tickets to the Italian section. We weren't with the club. We've been uh, a company called Sport Options. I'm yes. Sure. Still basically, well, well, you know, <laughs> we we had tickets in the Italian section, and we used them in the Italian section because we thought we don't want to be kept in this ground for an hour. Yeah, we want to go and get a drink and then you know have a bit of an evening. So, um, but I mean, yeah, it was dull. Yeah, but it was exactly what was required. Absolutely, and again, it's back to the walls. Sort of, it was very much. Really, it yeah. was one of David Williams' finest moments. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm going to ask David and Simon for a '94 memory, if you have one. Oh, crikey. Um, if you don't, there's no compulsion. PSG Simon. semis. I was going to yeah, say, the, the home leg against Torino was a really arduous yeah. affair as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think was it one of those strange nights where we had our awake kit on? I can't even quite... You did, you did try and work out what we yeah, did. Yeah, with a yeah, diagonal. Yeah. Yeah. But again, one of those sorts of matches where you think, this is, this is, this is hard, we've, we've tried really hard. Okay, fair enough, we've, we've gone quite a distance. But no, that determination of... Doesn't matter if you win five 0 by being brilliant, or you just eat yourself over the line. We yeah. got through, and none of the the results and glory would have been possible. But we're not for for really hard legs like that. Yeah, so that's a great kind of memory. Yeah, reputedly the game that Osama bin Laden attended. Yes, yes. yeah. I quoted you my book about that as well, Kevin. I tell you what, if Wrighty gets booked, I'm going to fly jets into the World Trade Center. Oh, that's all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it's a better summer, I know. Give me a decade, I'll be fine. Uh, well, and the standard of the Asia away game, you should have had a, an I Was There t-shirt, the only senior goal that Ian Selly scored for Arsenal that night. Eddie McGoldrick, yeah. Eddie, yeah, Eddie yeah. McGoldrick, yeah. Colby's finest, bless him. <laughs> uh, no, it, it was right, you're getting booked. Uh, in the semi-final, um, a heartbreaking moment. Oh yeah! I mean, when yeah. we actually thought we can't win this trophy, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. we thought we yeah. can't do this now. Yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, uh, what what got me was um, I remember this uh, when I saw the um, the Palmer lineup um, oh, uh, on ITV when, when it started. I thought. I bought half those players on Championship Manager. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to have us. That Broner's the best in the world. I oh, know they had a fantastic side, didn't they? Broner's, but uh, you know. But many thanks. They had a midget goalkeeper who couldn't reach it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then the defender, Alan Smith, pointed out actually. If you, if, I watched on YouTube before I um, interviewed him because we're obviously drinking the day of the game. I've, I don't think I've seen a goal for twenty years. But you watch twenty, he hoofs it up and yeah, and everyone goes about it like Serie Italian defenders. They're great, but. That was shocking. If, if Mertesacker had done that, we would have absolutely nailed him for that. Oh, and Smith that. just said he was waiting for the ball to come down. I goes, what do you think? He goes, he looked at me as if to say, like, what do you think I was thinking? I was going to hit the ball, basically. <laughs> yeah, happy days all day round. So, all, all, yeah, all right, we're, we're running short of time, so I'm just going to finish with um, Arsene Wenger's fashion shoot for <laughs> Lekita Style magazine. David, were you impressed? Oh, oh yeah, for, oh, for sure. Um, it was great. It was, um, you, you see the photos, it was a cross between... Um, the way that he looked was Lenny Kravitz in that scarf, but the way that he spoke, he was like the bastard son of Zoolander. Um, um, I'm, I'm getting it imported from France. Pour moi, c'est fabuleux. <laughs> Leith, are you likely to be buying any of the items? I'm not sure I could fit in it, to be fair, but um, yeah, obviously David's a star guru here, but yeah, it was, um, <laughs> it was quite interesting. What, you can't imagine Sam Allardyce doing something like that, really, can you? But, yeah. but I have to say, the interview was fantastic. I know we were running such a short time, but the interview by Eric Bilderman for... for the, Keep. I actually had a bit of a chat with him on Twitter today, and we're going to potentially do an interview for 
to the Guna if you're interested. But um, he was a, he was an absolute legend, and the, the interview was fantastic. Kudos to obviously Ask Bob for, for putting it on there and, and 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 for being translated as well. But it was just a real portrait of Arsene Wenger. It just reminded me of sort of September '96 again, when this this real mysterious French intellectual turned up, and if Oasis and Blair had been playing in the background, I would I would have been transported back basically. But it was, it was great. I mean, like one one of his lines was basically. The only possible... Oh, I shouldn't say the French accent, really, should I? Not that I can, Would really. you like me to? Oh, yeah, please do. <laughs> the only possible moment of happiness is the present. The past gives you regrets, and the future, uncertainties. Man understood this very fast and created religion. It absolves you of what you've done wrong in the past and tells him not to worry about the future because he'll go to paradise. It means makes the most of the present. Man, self... In French... Man self psychoanalyzed himself very quickly through faith. Honestly, can you imagine Fat Sam doing that? <laughs> <laughs> Somehow not. Simon? Well read as well. Thank you. He goes on to talk about great spirit and great quality about 300 times. <laughs> I thought that um, I thought it looked, it looked fantastic. Um, and I thought, you know, good luck to you for doing it. I thought it was very interesting how some of the newspapers took completely different angles on exactly the same thing. Some were saying, oh yes, beautifully stylish, how, how typical of Arsene Wenger. Some were saying, uh, can you do that when you just lost 5-1 at Munich? Like, the two somehow correlate, like, you couldn't have done it. Um, or done it, like, as a result of losing in Munich. Um, I just think it epitomises Wenger. Uh, I thought the coat looked amazing. Uh, <laughs> about £8 million or something. Um, and, yeah, as, as the chaps have said, who, who else could have done that and actually pulled it off? Well, my understanding is, next month in Razzle, you've got Harry Redknapp, walk- <laughs> Harry Redknapp walking his whippets. Uh, so I can't <laughs> remind you the dog. Yes, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so about dogging anyway. <laughs> On that note, uh, just time to plug the current issue of the Guna. It came out yesterday and will remain on sale with the home matches against Dinamo Zagreb and Sunderland. Amongst the contents are uh, my favourite Arsenal goal, in which we've asked the contributors, I think uh, David and Simon both sent in uh, offerings to uh, nominate their favourite Arsenal goal and to describe a bit about them. We've got uh, the start of a series, the George Graham years, which uh, will take us uh, over the following issues through each season of George Graham as a manager at the club. Um, a piece on why it seems all Premier, Premier League referees seem to be from the north. <laughs> no one from the south, which might explain uh, some decisions we're not sure about. And uh, much, much more, including uh, pieces on Olivier Giroud, Gabriel some low points in one particular contributor's Arsenal supporting career and others uh, frustration with the squad shirt numbering system. And of course Leif's interview, or part one of Leif's interview with John Cross who wrote the uh, recent book on Arsene Wenger's years at Arsenal. So £2.50 and uh, well worth anyone's money in my view but I'm totally biased. (laughs) However, it's there to buy on your approach to the stadium and also through our website. Okay, um, you can contact us uh, before the next one uh, on Twitter at Guna Podcast and by email at gunapodcast at gmail.com. And other than that, it's just time to say goodbye from David. Good, uh, goodbye, thanks for listening. Leith? Goodbye. Can I just say FSF Awards? People vote for the Guna. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, we are nominated for Best Fanzine, so if you do uh, want to. Go on the Football Sports Federation site. You can vote for us there. 
Um, I might do a Woody Allen and not turn up. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> the chance was winning. I'm not sure about. Uh, and it's goodbye from Simon. Good uh, We will be back with another edition in December. This is your host Kevin Witcher saying farewell and thanks for listening. La di da di da, la di da di di. All good friends and jolly good company. Way. Well, hey!